So this morning, we come to Luke chapter 4. If you're a guest, we've been walking through Luke. We even handed people out a special gospel of Luke, and we, we ran out, and the publisher ran out. And so <laughs> they're back ordered. I asked Johnny, do we just not do it? He said, no, let's go ahead. We're going to be in Luke a while. He, he's probably right. All right, so we'll, uh, we're still going to try to get everybody one. It's okay if you don't have one, but uh, we're going to try to follow through. We made a decision. We're not going to go as fast as we originally thought we were. Uh, we're just going to take some time and make sure we learn some great lessons. And I'll tell you what I'm praying. I'm praying that I will learn to love Jesus fresh again, that I'll be like that early follower who just heard about him, and that I'll read these stories and go, wow, what a Savior. So maybe that should be your prayers. You just pause and read slowly. Uh, it's not going to be hard to keep up with us, even if you hadn't started yet, because we're just in chapter 4, and uh, we, you could do a day, one a day and still be ready to go next week, because Johnny's preaching, and who knows how long he's going to take next week, all right, uh, and how many verses he'll cover. So that's, that's kind of where we are in Luke chapter 4. If, if you look at Luke chapter 4, probably you have somewhere up, up uh, I have marginal notes, and let's see, you, uh, marginal notes here, I didn't, I didn't really check, uh, yep. Margin of note here, it starts off with a title you realize was not inspired, but some translator, you know, came along and put it in the Bible to give you paragraphs and ways to follow. It says, the temptation of Jesus, okay? So that's probably what you're going to find uh, somewhere, whatever Bible you're using. I don't know, maybe even be on the one you're dialing up if you're using your, your smartphone and you're, you're looking at it. But the temptation of Jesus. Now, I just thought, Let's stop for a little while and grow together of what it means to understand how to face temptation. We don't like to publicly talk about the elements of temptation. We don't want anybody to know we're tempted. You know, we... We come in here this morning and go, hey, got your act together, great seeing you. You know what I mean? There's just, that's, we don't like to even admit that there are things that distract us and interrupt us and turn us away from being a passionate follower of Jesus. We, it's hard for us to admit. And if you look up temptation, you know, I'm always afraid to say things like this because I'm afraid you're going to start Googling and not listen to me, all right? But if you look up temptation, uh, you'll, you'll find that the dictionary says some pretty interesting things like, Things you know you ought not to do, but you, you want to do. You know, I mean, it starts listing these things of, of what it means to be tempted. And so this morning, I decided we could spend a whole lot of time on this chapter 4, and we can try our best to apply it, and we're going to do that. But I wanted to make sure that you saw kind of the whole counsel of God, some 360s on this. Look at, kind of rotate it around like you're, like you're looking and you're trying to see what the back of that thing looks like you're getting ready to buy, all right? So let's, let's look at some of these other verses that shine light on what we see from Jesus because let's admit something, okay? You're still with me, right? We're all tempted, A. B, we're not all tempted the same way Jesus was tempted, devil's probably not going to take you up on the pinnacle of temple, all right? And he's, he's probably not going to, you're probably not going to be 40 days in the wilderness and need bread, okay? So you're not going to be tempted the same way that Jesus was tempted. But there are things in how Jesus was and responded to temptation that really help us as followers of Jesus. That's the conclusion we're going we're gonna to follow, okay? We're going to get there in a minute. So let's take now uh, from other places in Scripture, and here's what I want you to do. 
I, I know you can handle this class, all right? I want you to look on the, on the back and see all that's been written there. Absolutely nothing, all right? And I want you to jot down some cross-references. Uh, Nick's going to throw them up here on the screen. I want you to jot down a few cross-references. I'm going to refer to probably all of these this morning in, in the message. And I want you to have these so you can go back and do this on your own. Because in the book of Acts, it said that those who were listening in Berea uh, were more excellent than those in Thessalonica, if I'm remembering it right. They went home and studied to see if what they were being taught was true. And I welcome you. Go home and study and see if I'm teaching you truth. And if I'm edging out of the path, I mean, come back and, and help us. We, we want to do this together in our following Christ. These are some cross-references. There are plenty of others, but... I just want to make reference to these this morning and help us see if God will build these into our life. So let's just take the one on the other side first. This is the Holman. Uh, I memorized it first in the King James, uh, and then I, I learned it in the New American Standard, so I've got a really confused uh, version in my head, all right? But the parts are the same. It says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So, everybody always says, well, you know, I'm kind of unique and uh, you don't know my deal. And Okay, I get some of that as well. But I know that there are some layers of commonality that we can learn from. And I, I believe the scripture is, is totally nailing it here when it tells us what is common to humanity. Then it turns. But in your temptation, remember that God is faithful. Put a period right there. You don't mean walk away. But God is faithful. And here's what he's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But will with the temptation, he also will provide a way so that you may be able to bear it. A way out. Other translations say a way of escape. Okay. So Here's what we want to ask. We want to ask, so then, what is this way of escape? Can we learn it by looking at these temptations of Jesus? Can we learn it by looking at other places in the Bible? So, that's the first question. What's the way of escape? Now, the next reference that I gave you was 2 Corinthians. If you're, if you're turning, it's going to be easy for you because it's just right there a couple pages over. All of 1 Corinthians 10, I almost left the verse off because you can just read it all and it'll help you, okay? But right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and please allow me just a second. I've, I've just spent the weekend with some great lifelong friends, and one of the guys, when he tells a story, he, he takes him way too long to, to uh, get around and, and get back to the point. So please, Lord, help me not to do that, all right? Paul had written to the Corinthians about a guy they needed to confront because he was in sin. They had confronted the guy, and he had repented, but some of the people were having trouble knowing how to restore him. Okay. So, here Paul writes, and he says to them, Hey, if, if anyone has caused pain, I'm in 2 Corinthians, uh, what is that, verse 5. Uh, to me, in some measure... Too severely, all of you, for such a one is punishment the majority. You, you should, you know, forgive him and comfort him. And he doesn't need to be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So you see what he's doing? He's trying to get them to reaffirm the guy that's repented and bring him back into fellowship. But here's why I had you turn. 
In verse 10, he says, anyone you forgive, I forgive also. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that if you don't forgive, here's a problem. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. <laughs> I read that verse and say, oh, yes, we are. We are ignorant of his schemes. We, we don't know how it is the devil comes to us and tricks us. Now, some of you this morning say, you know, I'm not really facing any temptation. Hmm. I probably want to say to you, it may be that you're so far, you know, off the track that you, you know, the devil's just cool to leave you alone because he, he doesn't want you to get back on track. But if you're trying to walk with God and you're sensitive to the things of God, you begin to realize that there are things that distract you and interrupt you. And, and, and okay, so that's why I gave you that verse. We are ignorant of his schemes. I guess right here I need to give you my classic illustration from childhood. It's, it's when I always think of it at this point. I played football. Still having football on TV, all right? I played football as, as a little boy. I was on the... 75 pounds in under league and, you know, 100, whatever that, you know, I was that kind of deal. So as I was on this little football team, they told us, look, the guard puts his head right here and pushes the guy this way. The tackle puts his head right here and pushes the guy this way. This is called the two-hole. And we're going to, the three backs going to run through the, the two-hole. It's going to be called 32. So you got it? So you put your head here, push him, put your head here, push him. Made sense. I could see it. Then I got in high school. And here's what they told the guard. This probably is going to be your man. They may shift before the ball's hiked. And the ball's coming right here. Now, here's the deal. I don't care which way you block him. Doesn't matter. If he stunts, go with him. If he tries to get out of the way, then just go the way he's going. Use it against him. Push him that way. The ball's coming here, and you just need to get your hat on the guy and get him out of the action. That, my friend, is a classic misunderstanding most believers have. We think the devil uses peewee blocking technique. We don't know the schemes of the devil. He would love to take your strength and just push you right out of the action. He would love to take your defeat and just see if he can keep you from ever getting back on track. He's going to try to go with your stunt and just keep you out of the hole. All right. Let's come back. That's 2 Corinthians. Let's don't be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. Now let's look at 1 John. In 1 John, we're, we're looking for the way of escape. Remember, that's, we're still on that path. Over in 1 John, you've got to go toward the end of your New Testament. You get some more 1 and 2, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2, 3 John. All right. 1 John, let's see, chapter 2. Yeah, here it is. This may help you understand the schemes of the devil in advanced blocking techniques, all right? Here's what we shouldn't be ignorant of. Here's what we should know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world, the things in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You're, you're supplementing love for things of this world instead of loving the Father. What an incredible summary statement it's about to follow. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life 
is not from the Father. Let's look at those three for just a second. The lust of the flesh. That's taking God-given normal appetites and fulfilling them in an ungodly way. There's a book written called Every Man's Temptation. I've been told today that women are involved in pornography just as much as men. What, what's going on? The enticement of a God-given appetite that you give yourself to in an ungodly way and it does not bring fulfillment to your life. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. I put a parenthesis in my mind and think materialism. Thinking that something will satisfy. Hey, I, I want to, I hate to break this to you. I, I love the new car smell too, all right? But that car's not going to satisfy the longing of your soul. I, I like to have a home that people come in and, you know, everything's in order and they can come in and enjoy being there. But find that next house. That's, that's not going to satisfy the longing of my soul. There is no thing that you can get that will satisfy the longing of your heart. So all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, thinking some appetite will satisfy. Boy, I've tried lately. It's hard for me. I, if I could make this assignment forever, I'd be skinny as a rail. I, I try my best to say, you know, what I'm eating is reminding me that I've got an appetite. If I discipline myself there, I can discipline myself on every appetite. And I've been on the wagon this week, all right? I mean, it, it worked. You know, I was able to, 1,500 calories isn't much for a guy like me, all right? It's really, it's a hard struggle to, to get it done. But it reminds me that I have appetites that I can fulfill in a godly way or an ungodly way. I'm not saying you're not on a diet that's ungodly. All right, so stay with me, all right? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, materialism, things that we think would satisfy our soul but will not. The pride of life, here's one, what does that mean? Well, all sin is pride, and I mean, bottom line, it, it's me thinking I know God's way better than God knows his way, okay? That's, that's how that works. But here's how I really believe this category, and this is a, this is a good three-root category of how everybody faces things that would distract them from following God. The pride of life, as I see it, is me thinking, hey, I'm better than you. Could be. Hey, I'm worse than you. But I get so caught up in human comparison. And you know what that leads to? It leads to bitterness when you don't forgive people and you got your focus on the people and not on God. And don't ever forget that bitterness is like acid. It will do a whole lot more harm to the container than anything it's poured on. And we cannot allow that distracted focus on others and misunderstanding of my own personal worth to keep me from knowing all those things. I don't want to say we were lying this morning, but some of those things we were singing were pretty, pretty dramatic of a total commitment to loving Jesus and saying he can have everything. Now, believe it or not, that's the introduction to, to what I want us to see about Jesus. Those are verses you can take with you and you can learn. You say, well, what about Hebrews 
Forget that for a minute. That's the conclusion, all right? And some of you that are wondering when, when it's going to be over, uh, you'll know, okay, because we'll, we'll get there. Now, let's go back to Luke 4, all right? We're in Luke 4, and Jesus is going to be tempted. You remember what happened in Luke 3? He had been baptized, and what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't forget that. That was chapter 3 at the baptism. One more thing you shouldn't forget. I know you're greatly inspired as you read in Luke the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, that was a joke. All right, some of you, you can't pronounce the guy's names. But look at the very end of that genealogy. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. What we're about to see in chapter 4 is a comparison of Adam and Eve sinning in the garden and Jesus sinning in the wilderness. And we're going to see something about how they failed and something about how Jesus succeeded. All right? And we're going to look at those temptations in his life and see what God will do to inspire and clarify in our lives. So we come to chapter 4 and we read some pretty incredible words. Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, remember, baptized there, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Did you get what it just said? Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit to the place of temptation. I got to be just totally blunt with you. I, I struggle and say, isn't this the one that taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation? I mean, I, I don't quite know how all that goes together, but I can tell you that there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to all of mankind. So what Jesus is about to experience, we can't, I'm so thankful, we can't experience these temptations and God expect us to respond to every one of them like Jesus did. But come on, let's learn from them. What happened? 40 days he was being tempted by the devil. We may not have all of the different little scenes here that, that the gospel writers sought to write down, but we do have three of them. He ate nothing during those days. And when those days were ending, he was hungry. You think? 40 days in the wilderness. The devil said to him, man, this is so important that we get this. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. I want to just see if we can compare a little bit of temptation. The devil comes to us and, remember, not peewee blocking techniques, taking us out any way he can. So if you're a child of God, why, why are you sinning so much? So if, if you're really a follower of Christ, man, you sure don't look like him. It comes to our identity in Christ. Now, you go read, I try to read a bunch of stuff before I ever get up here on, just to make sure I'm not teaching heresy. <laughs> All right. You go read some of the uh, scholars and their references to these. That word if there is a conditional if, it, it probably could even be translated since. Uh, it, it's not an if and you may or may not be or if and you're not, but since you are, if. Jesus, if you are the Son of God. Now, what does that remind you of when we were talking about Adam and Eve being compared? Remember how he came in the garden and he said, 
hey, does God, does God really want that? I mean, is that really the best for you? What we're about to read is Jesus is being tempted at the point of basic provision. Basic provision. Just command this stone and it'll be bread. Another little parallel. 40 days in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. There's definitely something to be seen in God's parallel of what happened to the children of Israel. They were being tested. They didn't have food, and God provided them manna. Okay, so whatever's going on here, Jesus is hungry. And the devil says, I know you can do this because you're the, you're the son of God, right? I mean, just, just go ahead and turn that stone into bread. What did Jesus say? Man can't live by bread alone. I think it's Deuteronomy 8 if you want to make a reference and check it later. Man can't live by bread alone. But can I respond just a little bit and say, if you add water to that, man can live a long time with, with bread. His point is not that you need more than bread. That's not his point. His point is we need more than human sustenance to really live. We need more than to have our appetite satisfied than to really live. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, you say, well, that's all it says here is man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, I get that. Matthew, I think it's chapter 4 even as well, but Matthew goes ahead and finishes quoting that part of the verse. We know Jesus was responding, and probably every time you've ever heard this preached, you have heard the pastor say, see why you need the Word of God? Because you need the Word of God to face temptation. I'm not going to deny that, but, and, and I want to totally affirm that, but I want us to go a little bit deeper into the way of escape and see how the word works. Okay, you with me? So let's keep going. That's the first temptation. Second one, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give the authority and their glory. It's been delivered to me and I can give it to who I want. If you then will just worship me, it's all yours. Now, boy, that raises some questions. Did the devil really own all that stuff? All I can say is go read that he's the God of this world. So I, I don't, small g, when you read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I think it is, 4 maybe. I, I don't know what authority that, that the devil really has. I do know this now. After Jesus was raised, he said, all authority has been given to me. Okay, but look how the devil is trying to challenge his identity as Messiah. And one more little side note. Seemed like I got a lot of those. Uh, one more little side note. There are no shortcuts in following Jesus. There are some silver bullets of a sort sometime that you can shoot. For those of you that are old and remember that phrase out of uh, old movies, okay? A silver bullet. It's just that one's going to make all the difference. We'll get to that in a second. But look at the struggle of Jesus and the devil saying, hey, you're going to get all this stuff anyway. I, 
I know where this is going, so just go ahead and worship me for a moment, and you can have it. You know what that reminds me of? How many times when we hear from sin, it's like, if you'll just take this moment and make this choice, you'll be satisfied. What happens in the moment that we choose to replace God's satisfaction and his provision in our hearts? One time I made a list of the things that we often hear when we're being tempted. It's funny how I've had people come back to me again later, years later, and say, help me on that list again. If I have time, I'll try to put it on a blog and let you read more of these rabbits I wanted to chase further. If you want to make a note, it's pastor-gilbert.com. All right? Hadn't put much on it lately, but... Uh, if you want to, I'll, I'll try my best to give you a little more. Here's the list. No set order. Just want to kind of give them to you. We face temptation and the devil comes to us and tries to get us to take a shortcut and not be fulfilled according to God's pattern. A little bit won't hurt you. Everybody's doing it. This is not really going to hurt anybody else. You're okay. And then, let me make sure I get them all in there. Oh, yeah. You can stop anytime you want to. But you've heard that dozens of times. And the temptation seems to be going down the same path over and over again. You know the last whisper of the evil one? I got you. You've done this so much and you're so far gone, you cannot return. And just like those other lies, that's a lie. It's a lie. Because he doesn't have all authority over everything in your life. Jesus does. And we're going to get to that in a minute of the way of escape, but we're trying to learn from what happened to Jesus. He said, turn this into bread. Jesus said, no, man man can't live by bread alone. Then he said, so you have all these kingdoms, and the devil never shows you the full story. He never shows you what's behind the curtain. He never shows you that when you sin, that it does impact others, and, and it does go ripple on through, and you don't think you can stop when you want to, and you feel so undeserving as you keep pursuing that path. But those are the things behind the curtain. And then he says, I got you. He said to Jesus, look, let's take a shortcut. Let me give you this. I love Jesus' response. Should be in red letters if you got your Bible open like I do. It's red letter text. Jesus said, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan didn't say anything about serving, he just asked him for a moment of worship. But Jesus knew and would teach us later. The one you enthrone is the one you serve. So, 
Don't be fooled by the moment of what it takes to encounter those schemes of the evil one. There's a third temptation. This time, and this is part of why I was telling you, Jesus' temptations are not exactly like ours because this is probably not going to happen to you, all right? Uh, I kind of picture this almost like a cartoon scene. I can see it, okay? He, he took him to Jerusalem. Did he take him? I don't know. I mean, the Scripture says he did. Did he take him in his mind? Was it some kind of, I, I don't know, but just follow it, okay? He, he took him to Jerusalem, and he put him on the, temp, the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, and he knew he was, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, meaning you can make a grand entrance, okay? If you fall and everybody sees you, they're going to know you're the Messiah, so let's get on with this. And so he was tempting him to pridefully, have you noticed the parallel yet? The lust of the flesh turned his bread. The lust of the eyes, all these things will satisfy. The pride of life. Jesus, make a grand entrance. And if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for him. Who is saying, what verse is it? Verse 10. Who is saying, verse 10? The devil is quoting scripture to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. He kind of left out the rest of that psalm, which says, in all your ways. But he's misquoting, but he's quoting scripture to Jesus. And on their hands, they will bear you up, the angels that are. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus, go ahead and jump. Angels are going to take care of you. Look at Jesus' response. But it also says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, remember, we're looking for the way of escape that we might be able to bear it. What do we do? I think it probably does you good to know the schemes of the devil. We're ignorant. We don't know the type temptations he takes, and we don't know his tactics of when and how he does it. By the way, are you tempted when you're weak or when you're strong? Yes. Okay. Uh, are you tempted when something succeeds or when something's failed? Yes. Okay. Can, can you always know how to predict it when it's going to happen? It's amazing how it can just come out of nowhere. Confronting you to substitute your worship and your honoring of God. How did Jesus do it? He did it. By setting his mind on the eternal consequence and the scripture that God used to deliver him. But here's the point. I had to be warned of this week in preparing this message. Too often, we think that the battle with temptation is almost like a Star Wars encounter you know I'm standing there and the devil says here's something and I go take that here's the word of God and he goes I'll up you on it here's something and the devil says well what about this well here's the word of God I'm a princess bride fan I'm sorry if you haven't watched it you need to see it this is right this moment that Jesus says I'm not left-handed either, 
Okay. For those of you that really know it, you know what happened. They've been battling with the left hand, and he, he says, I'm not left-handed. He says, that's okay. I'm not left-handed either. We get this sword fight image, pun intended, sword fight ended in our minds of fighting the evil one with the word of God. And we just go, man, I got to memorize more verses. Man, I, I got to have more scripture. What's wrong with me? I've got to get more scripture so I can fight the devil. He knows quite a bit to quote and misquote to you. I really don't think that's the entire point. Hear me, I'm not belittling scripture. That's how you set your mind on truth. But I am warning you, don't think that one day you're going to grow up and be so bulked up in, in your spiritual life that just bring it on, devil. You know, I've got a verse for you. Here's how babies, young men, and old men fight the devil. Hebrews chapter 4. Here's what I really believe is the way of escape that kind of wraps up Jesus' identity and it wraps up the encounter with temptation. Hebrews chapter 4. Oh, we've got a great word of God, verse 12. If you hadn't memorized it, you ought to. It's a sharp, two-edged sword. The Word of God, even this morning, I pray, is piercing right into your heart and it's piercing right into mine to show us the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and showing us that nothing is really hidden from God and nothing is hidden from His sight and all of us are naked and exposed before Him with whom we have to give an account. But look at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who was in every respect tempted like we, yet without sin. So let's come with confidence and draw near to the very throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help even when we need it in the time of need. What's the Bible saying? You have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He intercedes before the Father on your behalf. He regularly shows the nail prints in his hands and says, this one is ours. That's an imagery of the Father taking us to the throne, interceding for us, Jesus interceding to the Father. And as we are tempted, we go, oh, Jesus, you were tempted in all points like me, yet you had no sin. I know you get it. That's a pretty good thing. Don't you like it when you've got a friend and you're talking about something and they just go, I get it. And you go, man, I, I, you get it. Jesus understands. He knows the scars and the pains from the past that moved into making that temptation part of your problem. He knows it. He, he knows what's been going on, and he knows the moment of decision, and he knows when it was a bad decision. He knows it. And we have a high priest who's been tempted in all points like as we are. And catch that last part. So we can go to God's throne 
and find grace to help. We usually think we want to go to God's throne. We got it all figured out. So he'll be impressed with how good his little child is. No, no, no. We go to his throne to find grace to help when we need it. I'm not going to stand here and pretend. I know God would in no way bless if I pretended I, I'm super successful. Every time the devil tries to distract me and derail me, I am not. But I am not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And I pray even this week, oh, I'm going to have to live this stuff after I preach it, all right? I know what's coming. I pray even this week that I will be able to say, hey, Jesus, I can't do this. But you understand me. Would you give me the grace I need and turn my mind? He'll use some scripture probably to help me focus on who he is and what is right. And in case you can't tell, this is really in my heart for you. I want you to be able to walk with him. So would you pray with me?